0: Clay Thompson awoke suddenly and sat straight up in his bed. He was damp from the cold sweat that came from his nightmare. He had been having these dreams for weeks, unable to shake these night terrors that visited him in his sleep. Enough is enough, he stated as he stepped down from his bed and put on his slippers that resembled his dog Rocco. He slowly walked down the stairs and into his kitchen to pour himself a glass of milk. At the sound of his footsteps... Rocco came to greet Clay at at this strange hour of the night. Upon looking at Clay, Rocco gave him an inquisitive look and tilted his head. Clay took a sip from his glass of milk. Rocco, I've really got to get these dreams fixed. Something's not right. Clay took another sip and looked up at the ceiling. I just hope it doesn't affect my play. Folks! This is Hoop Show. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Hoop Show. I know that intro was different and strange and weird and I just wanted to do something different. Try something out. Actually, I wrote a whole story based on that little intro because I thought um, there was this old NBA highlights channel that was like, you know, just a fan. He wasn't an NBA official licensed guy or anything, but he would write all – he'd make these highlight videos of role players and then put um, the most creative writing piece I've ever seen in like these, these descriptions of these YouTube videos. And I always thought that was super cool and I thought I'd give my hand at it you know, see see if I could do anything similar. See, it just always looked fun, and it was fun to write. I don't know if it's actually any good. I, th- I think it's entertaining. But besides that, I'll see if I can um, put in, like, the description of this episode on Spotify. We'll see. Um, we'll see. But that is not the point of today's episode. The point of today's episode is to talk about Game 2 of the NBA Finals between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. So... Um, this was a pretty good game, um, you know, people were were saying that Game 1 was more of like a classic, and I don't, you know, it's whatever, I I just enjoy watching it no, no matter what, but, you know, this game was also pretty good, it was, by the end of the third quarter it was a blowout, um, so I didn't watch after that, um, because it was, you know, I watched maybe the first, like, six minutes, maybe not even that many of the fourth quarter, because you could tell the Celtics threw in the towel pretty early in the fourth quarter. Um, And the main story of this game was the Warriors third quarter. So let's start there, Um, and then I'll go over some kind of overall game overviews, what we got. Um, The game changed in the third quarter, plain and simple. Um, This is another classic Warriors third quarter run. We've seen this time and time again. This is where they make their move they make their run to kind of either take the lead or you know get it back if they had, were down in the first half this is what they've done time and time again throughout the years even with kd um i don't know about 2015 like the the first championship team but ever since 2016 this is kind of how they're um they're wired to to act as and is make a big run in the third And either we're going to blow this team out of the water or we're going to, you know, come back and, you know, make an actual game in the third. And um, most of the time it's blow teams out of the water. It's very rarely the second case scenario, but which is what they did tonight. They blew the Celtics out of the water in the third quarter. Um, I kind of compared it. I mean, this is obvious comparison, but it's the third quarter of this game for the Warriors is what the fourth quarter was for the Celtics in game one. Um lots of threes uh, good defense I think it was a 40 to 16 um, fourth quarter for the Celtics I don't remember what the Warriors scored in that um in the final uh, or in the third quarter here but it was a similar kind of disparity uh, between the two um, the Warriors were hitting threes uh, obviously Curry was getting a lot um, what was super interesting was, <laughs> excuse me. In the first two quarters, uh we got um the uh the Celtics were playing good defense on Steph, you know, you know, not the same defense they were. It wasn't obviously, you know, you can only defend Steph so well. He's an all-time talent. He's really good. He's going to get his looks and he's going to make some ones that even when he doesn't get really good looks. But he was getting, you know, the Celtics were kind of limiting uh, you know, the wide open threes he was getting. Like he was in game one because they weren't playing drop. They weren't, or if they were, they weren't dropping as far back, or they were just playing an entirely different style of defense, you know, not not doing the same things that allowed him to get six threes in the first quarter of game one. And that worked for the, for the most part. Of course, Curry was having a good game, right? Uh, people were acting very strange. The ESPN halftime, I, you know, you never pay attention to those guys really. Those guys don't have good NBA opinions, even though. Jalen Rose, a former NBA player himself, Michael Wilborn, I get so angry at. Stephen A. Smith isn't even the worst one sometimes. Like, Stephen A. can be annoying, just, you know, I don't know. His takes are not good, but Michael Wilborn's takes are just so much worse on so, like, such strange levels. No, no matter, every single time they talk to him, he comes up and starts talking about, like, um, I don't even know, uh, what was it, like, the analytics, he's like, you know, Steph's being great, but he, he's being good, but not great. And he needs to take some of these, you know, I don't think he said this, but it sounds like something he would say. But he, he's always, he never fails, at least most of the time, to mention, like, analytics won't tell you this, but you need to do it. And it's like, yeah, analytics probably does tell you that. You just you just don't know what you're looking at. <laughs> you just don't, you're old head. You don't understand. Um, but that's besides the point. People were saying, you know, Steph had... Uh, was having a bad game. He ended up having a great game, obviously. Um, 29 points, five i I'm pretty sure. Um, he had a good game. He had a good game, and he had a good first half. He was the best player. But um, I don't know what my original point was. That. Well, Steph was having a good game. He wasn't as good as the Jays were. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were having incredible games. I think they had 16 and 13 at the half, respectively. Um, maybe he was having a better game than Jalen Brown. Steph Curry was, but not the point. Um, they were defending him uh, okay, right? You know, getting their, getting their stops here and there, not allowing him to do an avalanche of scoring like he did. This changes in the third quarter. In the third quarter, they put Daniel Tyson. in. I think it's because um, Robert Williams, their um, primary, their starting center, um I think he's hurt with something again. He's been hurt for a lot, a lot, a lot of games. I Pretty much this whole playoff run, but he still plays. But something looked different tonight where they actually took him out. Um, he only played, I want to say, like 14 minutes, and that made them have to play Daniel Tice more. And Tice isn't as good as a defender. Shocker, I know, because Williams is a, um, I think, I think it was all in our all-defensive second team uh, this year. And Daniel Tice uh, obviously was not. He was, I don't know if he would make a third team all defense on his own team, but that's that's a little blasphemous. He's, re- he's not a terrible defender, but he was not good on defense this game because he likes to go into the drop, or at least that's what they were calling for him to defend. And what it did was that uh, Steph Curry got multiple pull-up threes uh, because they were too far back. He gets a screen from Draymond or Looney, And he hits at least two, at least two just like that, just from directly that action of Daniel Tice going backpedaling, you know, having a really good defensive stance, like six feet away from Steph, unfortunately, and for him and Steph knocks it down. And what was really um, game changing about this run is that we saw something similar to this in game one, the Warriors. That was the story of their third quarter last game was that they had a really good third quarter. But the problem with their last third quarter was that with game one's third quarter was that um they didn't close it that well. They let Jalen Brown get a couple looks to end the hat or in the quarter and cut it down from almost a twenty point game to like twelve going to, I think it was twelve going into the final frame. And that obviously set up a quarter for the Celtics to have like they did in game one. Excuse me. And what happened in this third quarter was that uh, we got Jordan Poole. We got the best version we've seen of him in the two games uh, and in a while. I don't think he showed up. I can't remember exactly what his series looked like in the Mavericks series, but what his numbers were like during that time. But I know in game one of the the NBA Finals, uh, he looked pretty bad, pretty almost not unplayable, but um, not not great, obviously. So you needed something out of him, and you didn't get much. Um, he was not hitting threes. In this game, honestly, he was still um, not being able to get to the basket that well. He was getting there with effectiveness, but finishing there was a problem. Uh, he was getting blocked by Smart, Derek White even Tice at one point. Um, he he was not having a good interior finishing game for the most part, at least through most of the first half. And then in the second half, especially at the end of that quarter, uh, he hits, he starts doing his thing. You know, he, he starts doing all this crazy stuff that he learned from Steph of hitting threes that are off the dribble. He's never going to stop shooting these. That's what I've learned is that Uh, The Warriors players, every single one of them has been endowed with uh, impossible levels of confidence. No matter how many times they miss, they're going to keep on shooting. Case in point, Clay Thompson, who sucked today, but didn't stop shooting. You know, one of these days, he's going to get something to go, probably, unless he's old and getting old, you know, actually becoming washed, actually not being as good as he used to. But shooting is not something that, typically goes away with age, right? So, we'll we'll see. It's, you know, he's only played however many months back after, I mean, it's been like, it's been a while. It's been a few months, but it is his first, you know, not even full year back from two terrible injuries. So, you kind of, yeah, I want to give him a break, but at the same time, he's been, uh, with Jordan Poole showing up last night, he's been one of their worst players on the floor and kind of actively makes them worse at some points with, you know, his spacing is still incredible because you're still going to defend him, but the actual shot-making has been bad because he's doing stuff that he, I've never seen him do before, which is all these pull-up mid-ranges and... I don't know. I don't really get it. Uh, and he didn't have a great shooting game overall, even from three, especially from three. And, you know, we you you hope that that changes. But um, going back to my point about... a. Jordan Poole was that those two threes to end that quarter was what separated it from the game one third quarter was that um, it was a 17 point lead with about a minute left and not to say that that's like insurmountable but or um, not a very big lead at all you know it's like the Celtics have a chance there that's not 20 points that's you could cut that Jalen Brown could have a similar type run and cut it to single digits and if the Warriors don't respond in that moment, then you open yourself up to kind of a another run. I mean, the Celtics did in the fourth quarter go on a 17-0 run, so they could have just got right back in it. You know, not to say that they do that exact same thing again. That was a pretty historic, incredible kind of moment. But, you know, 17 is not... In that moment, you're thinking, okay, we're down a lot, but we're not out of it. And then Jordan Poole hits like a 30-footer, and you're like, oh, wow, that's a pretty incredible shot. And the Celtics can't convert on the next time they go down. And then, you know, you get the half-court shot. That was crazy. That actually, like, if I'm watching a game, I don't always just, like, get really excited about stuff like that. That stuff made me That that made me almost jump out of my chair. That was pretty incredible. That was fun to watch. Um, and the energy in the arena. It what it did was it gives you a 23 point lead and the energy in the arena is off the charts. You think that's when the entire the energy shift, the the vibes changed. There was a vibe shift in that arena at that moment. And if Jordan Poole is good for nothing else but the vibe shifts, that's important. <laughs> Jordan Poole may be a vibe guy. Like Steph Curry is a, is the quintessential vibe guy cuz he's vibing all the time. He's changing everything to to positive for him. If Jordan Poole's going, then you got supercharged. Your vibes have been supercharged, <laughs> and you're off. And your your the energy is always crazy. This happens on a road arenas too for the Warriors because they have that effect. So that was it was the the vibe change as well as twenty three point lead changes things huge. You know I didn't ever, I didn't watch the fourth quarter at all in this game uh, because it became a role player uh, super battle. Uh, which, to be fair, is something I want to watch <laughs> later because that sounds fun. That's the type of thing that that guy I mentioned at the very beginning would make a video out of. <laughs> um, you know, I got to see Sam Hauser, The the G League, I think, I don't remember if it's him, I think it's his teammate Matt Ryan, who was like a, like a D3 guy who went to the G League, had a really good season, and now he's on the Celtics bench. I think it's Matt Ryan, who's also an NFL quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. But football is not my... I I'm barely a basketball knower without ever playing it. I'd be negative knowledge on football. Um but anyway, that's besides the point. But the third quarter was a story. It was a improved third quarter from even just a couple of days ago. Um and what something that I thought was interesting too, um, was the role players for the words. It wasn't just Steph and Poole, who I've only talked to up until this point. I would say the second best player for the Warriors up to this point has been Andrew Wiggins. His defense on Jason Tatum has been pretty darn good. Like, you know, Jason Tatum hit some tough shots in this game. Uh, He does that sometimes. He's a really good player and, you know, probably the second best player overall in this series. uh, Without question, I would say, probably. (laughs) That's a, whatever, double negative or something in there, but... I would say, you know, Wiggins has done a good job, or at least in Game 2 especially, despite the shot-making, he played him good. Game 1, I saw more he was just missing open shots. He was getting more open shots, but he was also facilitating. He scored a lot of points this game, but he didn't facilitate as much. Um, You hope you can get the the combo of those two from Jason Tatum, and then he can really ascend. Um, But... You didn't get that out of him. You got really good defense out of Wiggins, and who? Excuse me. Besides just the, um, just the the defense from Wiggins, who is, which has been really good, um, the w- Wiggins has been good on offense. He, he's been role player supreme uh, because he's not doing what he did in Minnesota, which was dominate the ball. When he dominates the ball like that, you get Minnesota Wiggins, which scores a lot of points but inefficient, and it's not great for your team. You don't win a lot of games that way. What he does now is he's just – he just cuts. He has this cerebral connection, not quite like Draymond and Steph, but if Steph is doing something off the ball – like I saw one time um, they had the floor cleared out except for Wiggins and Steph on, I think, the right wing – and um, Wiggins is, like, coming up to set a screen, but then he doesn't, and he goes underneath, I think, into the dunker spot underneath the, uh, on the left side of the basket, and Steph beats his guy off the dribble, which, and, and drives towards the paint, which makes him the Wiggins guy. He comes up to double Steph as he's driving, and Wiggins just stays there and gets a great open look from Steph, and he that's just, like, he knows where to be. Maybe Steph told him, maybe someone coached him on that, maybe that was a specific play in mind, but I thought it was incredible to watch live, um, the kind of connection that they have, and the kind of things he's doing. Another thing Wiggins is doing really well is that he's offensive rebounding. He didn't finish a lot of his layups today when he would get his offensive rebound, but he was creating extra chances, um, crashing the glass, beating guys like Horford and um, uh, Tatum sometimes, and Robert Williams, that he was hurt, so you can't give that, you know, that's not a total um, discount, you know, not totally bad for Robert. Um, But Tice, too, he was beating. Wiggins was having a good rebounding game. And I'd say the Warriors' role players are the reason that they are so good. Um, Not obviously. Steph is more important than role players. You'd rather have Steph than a couple really good role players. Um, But when Steph isn't having... A nuclear game like game one or or you know something like that um you get a game from otto where he hits i think two threes he does some great offensive rebounding kind of a wiggins impression you know and then super important underrated gary payton the second was back he's one of the war i think he's the warrior's best defender by far, by guard defender, and Steph is an improved defender, a really improved defender. If you really watch the game, you could tell uh, he was picking off a lot of passes and making the right play a lot of the time. He's really improved, and people kind of still underrate Steph on defense. But uh, Gary Payton is probably is without a doubt better, and that's not a knock on Steph. Gary Payton's just that good on defense, and he was doing his thing. He had a corner three. Uh this is not my take, someone else said this too, um, game three, if Igadala is healthy, you do not play him, you play Gary Payton, and then also for the Warriors, in terms of role players, and who should play and who should not, uh, Niaminsa Bielitsa, Belly, he looked good, he didn't play all that too many minutes, But he looked like a solid vet out there. He was making good offensive plays, and he was holding his own on defense. He wasn't getting destroyed at all moments or um, looking bad at all times on defense. He wasn't getting exposed, if if you want to say it like that. He was okay. He was passable. And on offense, he was doing the right thing. I don't think he hit threes, but he was just being at the right spot underneath the basket for passes to finish around there. And that's all you—that's all you need, really need out of him. You don't want him to play terrible defense and give you mediocre offense. He gave you, a, you know, pretty good offense, above his average for sure. And um, he gave you a definitely above his average on defense. That you, if you get like ten minutes out of that from him, play him. He's more valuable. I won't. <sighs> Iggy is an interesting question because he is so old, and he's been such an important part of the Warriors' defense and offense, all throughout their runs, every single time he's been there, but I don't know if that's, if this is still true of him, that he's still a good defender, that he's still all those things, because he is like 38, and that's not an ancient age, but in NBA terms, he is um, a thousand years old. He is an archaic wizard from a different era, and he's still he's trying to instead of using spells, you know, he's trying to like he's still trying to be a cool, like, warrior dude and he's not that anymore. He's he's not. He's a thousand years old and he's trying to do all his like you know, just run around on the floor and he's not getting where he used to as fast or anywhere near as quick or anything like that. So I think Igadala, if you have to bench him, if you have to give him minutes at all just so he doesn't, you know, go cry on his podcast um, then sure, give him a couple minutes, but give him spot minutes. Give him like end of the quarter, um, in for defensive purposes. I don't want to see him that much. And in this game, I'm also not mad with him shortening the bench to not include the the rookies. I know, um, Moses smootie and I never, I didn't see Kaminga at the end of the game. Maybe he's hurt or something. Um you know, when the the bench players came in, they put Moses in, but I don't remember seeing Kaminga. Maybe I didn't watch the full fourth quarter, obviously, but, um, I remember Moses coming in. So we'll, we'll you know, it's not that important for Kaminga because he's probably not going to play at all, but, and I'd rather have Moses in the game over him anyway. But I'm okay with them shortening, to, shortening the bench to that, but the bench unit should include, uh, going forward, Gary Payton and Belly, uh, Iggy should be relegated towards closer to the rookie's minutes than he is to Gary Payton's, I would say. Um, In this game, too, we got a better version of Draymond. Um, Improved from game one, certainly. Uh, He took less shots, more setting up, more uh, passing, and more defense. You know, he he, he had an interesting moment, obviously. He had an interesting moment with his technical fouls, and all the stuff surrounding that of the Steve Javi moment where he was like, excuse me, where they had the the NBA like official ref where they're like, we're calling Secaucus, and this guy in New Jersey, little, the NBA ref, and he says like, yeah, we evaluate it differently if they ha- already have a tech, which is not great. You're not supposed to do that, and I'm kind of not uh, happy that he said that, because if, if that's how you do it, you don't say it on Nashville TV in an NBA Finals game. That's not what you do, obviously. But I, it's, not a great, it's not a great look for the refs that they call it differently for if someone has a, um, a technical foul already. It shouldn't be like that. It should be you picked up this individual tech, and now you're doing it again. You're gone. It doesn't have to be level two worthy on your second technical foul. It should be two tech two level 1 technical fouls and that's it cuz that's the, what the rule is. If you if that's not what you think the rule should be as the refs, then change it. Don't say oh it's one it's one level 1 foul and w- another level 1 technical foul which will lead to an ejection. Say in the rule book the first one doesn't is not as great as a, you know as not a high level and then to get ejected for your second technical, you need something that would be kind of second-level second level technical foul stuff, you know, requirements for that. But obviously I don't think they're going to change that immediately, at least the refs do not do anything. <laughs> but um, speaking, I've talked a lot about the Warriors. I want to touch on the Celtics a little bit. Um, so Jalen Brown obviously did not have a fantastic game. Uh, in the in the first half, he did. He had a pretty good first half. Uh, I think, I think it was thirteen points that I said, and he was scoring, uh, you know, more efficiently than normal for him. Uh, he was having a good game, without a doubt. But it mostly was that second half, especially that third quarter. Um, he only ended up shooting like five for seventeen from the field. Um, you need more from that, obviously, but. I really—it's hard to put too much blame on any one of like the big Celtics because they didn't get anything from their bench like at all. Uh, Most definitely in the first half, Um, you got Derek White, and that was it. But the the catalyst for your big game in Game One for your big fourth quarter were almost not there at all. At for the Celtics, Uh, Al Horford. Went from 26 points and six threes to I think four four points. That's a big discrepancy. And you didn't get the kind of match, uh, the the kind of uh, games from Jason Tato and Jalen Brown that could make up for that loss. You certainly didn't get a game like that that uh, Marcus Smart had, where he had 20 points in that game in game one, and he had I don't remember how many he had tonight, but it was nowhere near as much. Not as many threes, definitely. And then Derek White. Derek White had a good game. He was solid and hit a couple threes. And he was definitely the best uh, role player to come out for the Celtics. But he wasn't 22 points, 5 threes good. You got great games, or a great game from Tatum. Uh, a good, but not great game from Jalen Brown. And you got an okay game from Derek White. And that was it. That was the only contributions they got. No one else even dared to show up. Um, there was a couple moments from role players, but when you're down 23, uh, you can't say, oh, I gave him just a little bit, that's okay. You need more, especially when Jalen Brown is struggling or Tatum is being defended well. He needs to learn to facilitate more in those moments. That is true. But also as a Celtics role player, you have to do to do good at making yourself available for those moments which it could be a combination of the two. Um, but, you know, you didn't get anything from the Celtics bench, and even without getting anything from your Celtics bench and getting a lot out of Warriors role players, and for the first half, before the game switches to the third quarter, you get a two-point game. You have insane scoring from Tatum and Brown and a little bit from Derek White and, you know, splices from some other people in there. And then you have mainly Steph Curry and then a bunch of smaller contributions from the Warriors role players in the first half. And you get a two point game. It's like, that's not bad. That's good. You get these terrible, you know, moments, not moments, but uh, types of things happening where you don't have your role players showing up and you're relying on two main massive scores um, for the Celtics. And you're only down by two what happens is that second half switch is what needs to to happen. They need to have what the mentality they had in the fourth of game 1. They need to have that at the start of the third. Uh, because the Warriors they're known for going on third quarter runs. You know, you have to come out and combat that. You can't you can't be lackadaisical about that. I don't think they were the Celtics were totally I think the the Warriors were mostly that good, but you could definitely credit at least some of it to um some to their energy the, the, the vibe of them in that game um so you have to you have to approach the third quarter as if it's one of the most important because for the warriors it is you have to know uh there the the avalanche is coming but you have to throw some snow back you know try something you can't just roll over and die and give up a, a 23 point lead in the third, and then die, and then die twice in the fourth quarter by getting continuing to get blown out. Um, Looking ahead a little bit, uh, game three, back in Boston, TD Garden, I I say this about every team um, because it's true, Uh, role players play better at home, so you're going to get more shooting out of the Celtics, likely. They can shoot regardless of if they're home or at not at home but you're more likely to shoot better at home excuse me you're more likely to shoot better at home um we saw for the Mavs guys like Davis Bertans hits crazy threes at home and then on the road he's not always like that he sometimes he is but not always he's more likely to be like that at home um I would say Derek White's probably gonna have a better shooting game Marcus Smart Al Horford um if you get even if you get the middle ground between their games for Al Horsford and Smart, if you get the middle grounds between their game one and game two performance and similar performances from Tatum and maybe a little bit improved from Brown, then you have a much better shot of winning this thing. Um, but what we saw in game two was kinda of what I was thinking the Warriors would be more so would be kinda of what they'd look like more in the finals, rather than uh game one, which was just Steph, pretty much. And some moments from some other guys, from Wiggins especially. Um, you got the good versions of Pool and Draymond in this game, in Game Two, which I think the Draymond thing can carry over. Pool's a massive is not a massive question mark. He's a little question mark, a not bolded one. Um, the biggest X factor right now is Clay. Uh, if Clay becomes anything, and I mean like anything, like his f- former um finals self, then you get you the Warriors win the series with these. They win maybe the next three games straight. Uh or the next three out of four. They, you know, do it in six. But if Clay is looking better, then no doubt in my mind that they win. Um but an important uh I said it was not bolded, it's a little bolded. It's like italicized uh importance is like Pool. Jordan Poole needs to play better uh, more so like his game two performance. Um, if he can get to the basket and finish, then that really opens up things and could change the game for guys like Clay when they have to pay um, more attention to Jordan Poole and you know can create more swing offense for guys like Clay Thompson. And so he doesn't take some of his stupid shots and takes more of his catch and shoots, which are unbelievable unbelievable for him and his bread and butter um you hope that you get that version of pool which can make maybe make the better version of clay and you just hope draymond does his thing um that's really i i think the warrior the warriors will probably win game three um i feel really confident about them they were my pick coming into the series so i'm probably gonna pick them more often than not um I could see the the Celtics doing something, but it really is anyone's series right now. It's not like after game one when the Celtics won, I was like, maybe the Celtics could win game two and go up 2-0. Maybe I'd have to change my prediction, but, you know, it is 1-1, um, a lot of things can still happen. It's at least a five-game series now, um, so anything could happen. It is Nothing is out of the question, without a doubt. Um, so. I still do think the Warriors will probably win Game 3. That's who I would put money on. Uh, I'm not a gambling man. I'm definitely not a betting man. Um, but if there was a, a good bet, I don't know the exact type of bets, if there was a good bet to take on who's going to win, just who's going to win straight up, I'd probably take the Warriors. Not very much money, though, like a dollar. I, I It's not super confident because the Celtics could definitely still do something. It's definitely not a certain Like I wouldn't say go put a thousand dollars on the Warriors right now, uh, that'd be bad, because it is still basketball. Anything could happen. Anything anyone can beat anybody any night. But um, anyway, um, I also want to talk about this is just kind of funny, silly, stupid stuff. Um, LeBron tweeted out, um, "I want to join someone's podcast or something like that." And I quote tweeted, "It was like Mr. LeBron Hoop Show would be honored." Um, I, <laughs> I, w- I was hoping that would happen. I was hoping at, for some like reason LeBron would be scrolling through all his quote tweets of people plugging their random podcast with way more listeners than me but are still obscure in the grand scheme of like every single basketball podcast and would come across Hoop Show and be like, oh yeah, you know what, maybe maybe this Tyler guy, I should give him a shot. Give the, the next, the youth, uh, make them the next guard coming up, you know. You like how he did with Brian Windhorse, like the ESPN like a reporter guy, who is just a guy from his high school and just apparently has every LeBron drop. <laughs> Knows everything about LeBron, but he also reports on other stuff just because he LeBron just made him an NBA insider from giving him knowledge. Maybe LeBron I was like, maybe LeBron can do that to me. I can be I could do Brian Windhorse. I could be that. You know? I could be the that version of it for podcasts. I I could just be the, like, imagine a podcast where it's me talking and then it's like LeBron, uh, you know, being like, what do you think, LeBron? (laughs) Like, I could be his, I could be his Andy Richter. He could be Conan. I could be like the Andy Richter to to LeBron, to LeBron's Conan. (laughs) I could be the sidekick. I'd be okay with that. It'd be his podcast then, but I don't care. That'd be fun. He'd probably pay at least like five bucks. Give me good benefits, maybe. Who knows? Maybe get to go to his games. That'd be cool. But um, anyway, um, game three, I think that is uh, Wednesday. I'm recording this on Monday. This is the the day after um, the actual game on Sunday, uh, game two. So game three is on Wednesday. Uh, I'll be dropping this episode on Wednesday, I think. So um, if you're excited about the game, um, (laughs) if you're excited about the game, leave a like. (laughs) Follow the pod, give it a rating, do all that stuff. Um, I don't know. Uh, I was going to say tell your friends, but it's like, you don't have to do that. That's a little much. Um, just tell them to follow me on Twitter, if anything, and they'll see when I tweet about it, and they'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> you don't have to do any of that. That's that's ridiculous, and I, I'm a little ashamed I said that. <laughs> but um, anyway, thank you all for once again listening. Do this, what is episode eight of Hoop Show? Um, So, yeah, that is all I have today. All right, everybody, peace out. Signing off.